In anticipation of the European elections scheduled for this coming June, parties are gathering in Congresses to finalize their candidate selections and to strategize for their electoral campaigns. Earlier this month, the Greens convened their Congress to finalize their manifesto and to select their lead candidates for the EU elections. However, what stance is the party endorsing for the forthcoming elections and what has stirred controversy among the various groups within the coalition? I am Evgiori. Hello and welcome to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. The European Green Party has reaffirmed its commitment to support farmers and has agreed to advance the EU's climate neutrality and fossil fuel phase-out targets in a bid to counter right-wing attacks on the party and the Green Deal. Euractiv's network journalist Max Griera travelled to Lyon to report on the behind-the-scenes of the Congress. So, Max, what was the general feeling that you got from the conference? Um, well, it was a Congress swamped, of course, by references to the farmers' protest. That was a, a key issue that they were discussing. On the other hand, of course, the Green Deal. I think since the far right is is growing a lot and we have mainstream parties such as EPP uh, wanting to backpedal on certain key Green Deal uh, legislation, I think the Greens in this Congress especially put an emphasis on the need to defend this. And this was their biggest conference so far, according to Melanie Vogel, co-chair of the European Green Party. It's the biggest congress we ever had in the history of the European Green Party. It is important because it is the electoral congress before the European elections and the European elections this year are probably the most important European elections we ever had. Why we are doing this congress? Basically, we're doing three things. The first one is to decide on our platform. So it's what we want to see happening in the EU in the next five years. The second thing was obviously to elect our leading candidate who would be the faces of the campaign. So you could also see that, right? To see all the delegations from all over Europe uh, coming together and, and finding these common points to, to keep fighting in the end for climate. And polls show that the Greens are declining and are set to probably become the sixth force in the European Parliament. How is this being handled internally from the party? What reactions did you get on that? Well, I was actually very surprised to to see that they're trying to put this facade. Mm-hmm. So publicly, they're not acknowledging these this polls. I mean, of course, they acknowledge it. They say, yes, we see it, but we simply don't trust the polls. They really believe there will be another green wave, like it happened in 2019. And it could be, but at the same time, I'm, I'm surprised, as I was saying, that even, for example, during the press conference, Terry Renke, one of the co-presidents of the Green Uh, group in the European Parliament uh, was saying that they expect to have the same size or even more. So that really surprised me. However, I do know that internally, because I was also talking to some delegates, uh, some some politicians, and for example, in the Parliament, there's some green delegations that uh, one, of, well, some of their assistants or policy advisors or MEP assistants, they're already looking for other jobs because they're aware that the the group is going to shrink. So I do think internally they're aware however externally they're putting this facade saying okay we're going to put up a fight we're going to recover all these these numbers uh, which is also remarkable right that that was another of the topics of the congress i think the motto was courage so so indeed they'll need to have a lot of courage to be able to to recover all those votes through these elections we know that we are 
there is a lot at, st at stake, but it's also due to the fact that we are a much bigger family uh, today than we were five years ago. Indeed, you can see the attempt to appear more confident in their messaging and wording expressed by Melanie Vogel here. And what did the contentants to be lead candidates have to say when you approached them? Uh, and who did you talk to? There were four contenders. So two of them were insiders, very well-known people. On the one hand, we have Terry Renka, the co-president of the Greens in the European Parliament, a leading German MEP, very well-known across delegations. Then we have Bas Eichhout. He's from Groenlings in the Netherlands. He's also a very senior MEP. He's been in the parliament for 15 years already. And he was already lead candidate in the 2019 elections. So these were the most known profiles. And on the other hand, we had two outsiders, let's say. So on the one hand, Elena Pinto was the candidate from Latvia's The, Pro the Progressives. This party is one of the parties that have been recently added in the party in this southern and eastern expansion they've been undergoing. Uh, she has a very international profile because even though she represents Latvia, she's been living in Luxembourg for a while, working for the commission. So, so she represents this more Europeanized profile. And then lastly, we have Benedetta Scuderi. She is is one of the co-spokespersons of the Young European Greens. She represented, let's say, the, the Southern voice, the, the youth voice, since she's part of the Young European Greens. Uh, we needed youth voices into the political scenario and youth voices not just to be part or someone that you can talk to and that, you know, you can engage sometime, but it's actu actually youth voices at the forefront of the campaign. Because we saw in 2019, the youth pushed the agenda and made us green especially have an amazing result. Said Benedetta Scuderi, one of the contentants for the candidacy. I really, really tried to talk to all of them to see a bit, well, before and after the election, to see a bit their feelings, their thoughts, their vision also for the Green Party. What was the reason the Greens decided to open up the race and to add two external candidates? It's a very simple reason. In the end, the Greens are very thorough in the lead candidate process. They want to be as democratic as possible because they do believe in the Spitzenkandidat process and in really trying to build up uh, European democracy. So it's very simple. They opened it up for anyone that could get enough support. So, for example, while the socialists only presented one candidate and made it easy. Or EPP probably will also have just one candidate, Ursula von der Leyen, without contenders. Or the left also had one contender. And hence, all of these people that were alone in their, in their candidacies, they will become Spitzenkandidat. The Greens really wanted to have a fair race, uh, a, a diverse race also. We have, again, and I'm really proud of it, enlarged the EGP, welcoming two new members, which is also important in view of the European elections because I trust that um, the wave we had in 2019 that was mostly happening in the west and in the north will uh, geographically expand in 2024. That was a, a real commitment from the EGP since I joined the leadership to develop uh, the green movements and projects in the south and in the east. Melanie Vogel mentioned. These two candidates, Elena Pinto and Benedetta Scuderi, they represented this enlargement that the party has been through. They represented the south and uh, the east, Latvia, Italy. Even though they represented this important expansion that the party was so proud of, everyone was mentioning this. If the outcome would be Terry Reimke and me, 
I think uh, we are very, very good team and complementary on topics and, and you know, personalities. Uh, I think that, that is all great. Green MEP Bas Eekhout stressed. The biggest problem is uh, it's, it's Germany, Netherlands. It's not very, uh, very uh, geographically uh, uh, balanced and, and, and diverse. Uh, I think that's, that's what we then have. Uh, but I think we've also shown that we can campaign for the entire Europe and the message that the Greens are expanding to the south and the east, which is happening and I think will be one of the results of the upcoming elections. Of course we can bring that, but it's true that the two of us are not representing that very well. However, we need to keep in mind that yes, they've enlarged, so they have more parties, up to 11 in the south and the east of Europe now. However, these parties are very small in political representation, in political weight. So the majority of them don't even have uh, representation in their parliament. And only some of them are projected to actually get MEPs. Three of them, in fact. And each of these three would get one MEP. So what was the result of the vote in the end? Who won the race? Of course, even though they opened it up to outsiders, to, to anyone that could run, it was widely widely anticipated that Terry Reintke and Bas Eichhout would become the lead candidates. In fact, before the vote, while talking to delegates, to, to other attendees, everyone, everyone was expecting they would become. And indeed, that happened. They were elected. However, what was interesting to see is that they were not elected by a huge majority. So first, Terry Reintke got elected with something like 53, 55% of votes. It's a small margin. Um, so it was interesting to see that still the outsiders also had support. You know, the delegations were rooting for different candidates. In that sense, you could also see it was a real democratic race. The party adopted a new manifesto during the Congress. Melanie Vogel is highlighting that the family is united. However, last month you got to see a draft of the manifesto and you reported on some very controversial uh, proposals coming from the German Greens. Can you tell us more on that? It's true that the Greens, they're one of the more united political families at the European level. They have very, very common, well, a lot of common priorities. However, as we saw with this manifesto and with these amendments that we got access to, there's always some type of disagreement. In this case, what happened is that the German Greens are in government. So they tried to push for the government perspective, for the government position in the manifesto, which personally, if I give my opinion, I think was an error because in the end, a party manifesto is not to push for a government position, but rather push for a more idealistic stance, right? And, and so I was surprised when we saw these amendments of the German Greens trying to water down exactly what the targets, uh, exactly what they were trying to do is on the one hand, instead of calling for climate neutrality by 2040, they wanted to delay the date to 2045. And at the same time, while the original manifesto, the one drafted by the committee, was calling for specific dates to phase out all types of fossil fuels, the Germans, for example, just mentioned coal and wanted to slash oil, for example. Um, these and other amendments show that really the Germans were pushing to water down the manifesto. However, in the end, um, it was interesting to see that the Greens went even further. Um, not only the Germans didn't manage to water it down, but <laughs> overall, the Greens decided to go further by calling climate neutrality starting 2035 and 2040 the latest. So in the end, it was more ambitious than originally. And what I heard by some delegates is probably what happened here is that the, some delegations 
told the Germans, okay, we scrap this, uh, this watering down in exchange, for example, for votes for Terry Renke, for her to become lead candidate, even though she was going to win anyway, because she was, well, she is very popular. It was also interesting to see during the Congress that the Swedish Greens are actually quite at odds with very, very traditional positions of the Greens. So, for example, while the majority of amendments were agreed on during compromise sessions, during the final vote, there were still three amendments that had to be voted separately. So what were these amendments that caused, let's say, the clash then? So these amendments basically were trying to take out from the manifesto three things. First, calls for an EU-wide uh, tax on wealth. Uh, why? They were arguing that taxation is better at the national level rather than European level. The second thing is they wanted to delete any type of mention to a federal Europe, because in the original manifesto they were calling for, yeah, we want a more federal Europe. And, and uh, the Swedish Greens didn't want that. Why? They said because they don't really have a definition for what is federal. Like when they, they were saying that when this type of when a federal Europe is discussed in the context is discussed in the context of the European Green Party, the Swedish argued, um, it's not really clear what they're talking about. So first they said, before adding this in the manifesto, we need to clarify exactly what we mean with a federal Europe. And then the, the third bone of contention between the Swedes and the rest was the legalization of cannabis, which the Swedes were opposing while uh, everyone else uh, was in favor. And in fact, all these amendments, of course, got rejected by a huge majority. The Greens have been playing a big role in crafting the Green Deal. And it seems that uh, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen is showing signs of retracting support for key green policies. And the European People's Party, EPP, is pushing for revisions to Green Deal legislation. What are your predictions for the future trajectory of these developments? With the developments we're seeing in the right wing side of the political spectrum, right? ID and ECR are growing so much. Uh, recently, we, we learned that Orban wants to join ECR. Reconquête, which is a far right party in France, will also join ECR. So here we have a shifting balance of powers. Of course, there is a conflict here, which is, I mean, at the core of politics. And of course, this conflict is a big conflict because what we stand for would change in a lot of ways how the economy is working and how wealth is distributed and where we can invest and where we cannot invest anymore. So there is a lot of stake and I think we are attacked because we are in the center of the debate now. The diagnosis and the solutions of the Greens are the debate of today. It's going to be up to the EPP to decide what to do whether they try to keep uh, forming this majority with progressive forces, including the Greens, which means that, as the Greens explained during the Congress, that they're open to negotiate with von der Leyen, but she will have to still be very ambitious when it comes to climate and the Green Deal, which is something that might be at odds with her own party, EPP, that, as, as we were saying, uh, want to cut red tape, green red tape, or, or, or revise certain key Green Deal files. She can either choose the Greens, the left, socialists, or she can also try to reach out to ECR for this majority. And what can we expect from the Greens in their upcoming electoral campaign for the European elections? The Greens are really, really good at mobilizing their bases. And you could see that during the Congress, they have 
uh, a lot of organized networks to really be united across Europe and really run a message, the same message throughout the continent. So, for example, they have a network of local councillors or they have a network of activists. So they're really good at, at building this network to, to mobilize people. So that's going to be interesting also how it plays out. I know their campaign manager is really, really good at what he does. So it's also going to be interesting to see what, what type of of actions he takes. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be following that very closely. Thank you very much. I am Evi Kiori, and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit your Active to stay on top of the latest news, sign up for our podcast newsletter, and if you haven't subscribed yet, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by myself, Miriam Saenz de Tejada, and Nicoleta Yonta. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time. As part of our commitment to accuracy, inclusion and transparency, Euroactive is part of the Trust Project.